developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my friend, Lauren Ross. Lauren is a truly amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power, passion, success, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of connection and community for our well-being and mental health. But let's first learn a little bit about Lauren. Lauren is a licensed clinical social worker and leader in the field of school mental health. With over 22 years of experience in public education and clinical settings, Lauren is passionate about creating spaces of belonging, support, and resilience for youth and families. Lauren currently works at the Cherry Creek School District where she serves as a leader of the mental health team with over 170 school psychologists and social workers. In 2019, she trained under Brene Brown, which is one of my most favorite podcasters and teachers. And Lauren became a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. She's brought this training to the public education and nonprofit sectors to build courageous leadership skills with amazing humans doing hard and very important work. In 2022, just a few months ago, she actually shared the story of Project Village on the stage of TEDx Cherry Creek, encouraging us, um, all of us to show up in social media space with greater courage, compassion, connection, and community. She lives in Denver with her amazing musical husband, her two great kids, and her schnoodle Oreo. So welcome, Lauren, to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, Lynn. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it is great to have you. Let's just jump in and tell us a little bit about your background and what got you to the kind of work you're doing now. Absolutely. So um, I got my master's degree in social work um, in 2000, which was two decades ago, which kind of blows my mind that I've been doing this work for a while. Um, I started my career um, in the first decade of my career, mostly in community mental health settings, working with children, youth, and families, um, a little bit of private practice and um, outpatient mental health settings, and also uh, working in schools. And then about 10 years ago, I transitioned fully into schools, and I've worked in three of the public school districts around uh, the Denver metro area. And more recently, in the past seven years, I've been um, part of the mental health team at Cherry Creek Schools. And I'm part of the leadership team, which I'm I'm super proud and honored to, to serve in this capacity. So I get to do some grant management. I oversee um, 
part of our, our district, about seven elementary schools, a middle school, high school, and then several alternative settings where I support the mental health providers in their um, daily work serving youth and families. Well, you certainly have your work cut out for you, especially since we're three years into the pandemic and we all know um, how that's impacted each of us, but especially our kids and our teachers. So tell us why our community and connection is so important for our well-being and mental health. Well, our brains are really biochemically wired to connect with others. So none of us does well in isolation. And I think that's a huge reason why the pandemic was such an incredibly vulnerable and stressful time for all of us. Um, I certainly do better when I've got my people around me. Um, I've got my trusted friends and colleagues who I can turn to when I'm in struggle. Um, And certainly in the work that we do in the schools every day, Really, so much of our work comes down to relationships. So kids can't learn and thrive in school settings without those relationships and connections with trusted adults and with peers. So a great deal of our work that we are focusing on in the schools is around trauma-informed school environments and the importance of relationships and really making the case um, where the case needs to be made sometimes that our kids can't thrive academically unless they are their brains are um, connecting and feeling in relationship. They're feeling a sense of connection and belonging, particularly for our students who have been historically marginalized in schools, um, such as students of color, students with disabilities, um, students um, who identify as LGBTQ+, um, really creating spaces of belonging and connection for, for all of our kids so they can all thrive. And that's so critical, especially with the pandemic. Tell us what you've seen both in research as well as just your observation of the impact that so many kids uh, have suffered because of COVID and the isolation and and uh, all the problems we've been through, especially the last several years. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that um, from watching how our kids have been doing. We know that some families have been really okay, um, that they had lots of resources and that doesn't necessarily mean financial resources, um, but some stability and community support, um, stable jobs and income, stable housing, um, and parents that were managing their own mental health needs um, in effective ways that many of of our our students have really been okay and they've been able to get back into the the routines of school. They have not had the learning loss that we're hearing so much about. They've really been on a pretty positive trajectory developmentally. And then we have other students who have had significant struggles and their development has been highly impacted um, because of various family circumstances that have impacted them or systemic circumstances that have impacted them and then everything in between, right? So we have this whole spectrum of different student needs that we are working with in the schools and and trying to adjust how our systems are approaching the work of serving our students so that we can make sure that, that all kids' needs are being met. Well, I certainly observed just from my own patient load, we see so many kids that have learning problems and um, developmental delays. 
that those kids were really suffering. Uh, many of them were supposed to have either private tutoring, private aids. Um, they had attention problems. So sitting on a computer uh, all day long for school did not fit their learning style at all. And so from my perspective, and this is not in the school system, this is just with families that are able to get private treatment. Some of those kids really lost maybe a year or two of learning um, because as I'm seeing them now in our third year, it's very difficult to figure out how much of their problem now is just loss of learning and, and um, being with other kids and being with the teachers versus truly a learning problem. So I, I think the schools are in a very difficult situation trying to make sure those kids that did okay are challenged appropriately as well as trying to help those kids that suffered both uh, emotionally as well as uh, learning wise. So through this pandemic, when we were all sitting at home wondering what to do next, you came up with a wonderful creative project called Project Village. And you'll explain a little bit about the story of Project Village and, and how you utilized it for yourself and, and uh, many, many others. Absolutely. So the birth story goes like this. Um, Project Village started as Project Quarantine 2020. And it was a little group that I did not think was going to be a thing at all. Um, and it sort of blew up into a thing. Um, so the evening of March 13th, 2020 was the evening that my family received the email from our school district that we were going into a two-week quarantine to stop the spread of COVID-19. And we had all been hearing about cases that were starting to trickle into the U.S. and some cities around the United States that were starting to see pretty heavy impact, but it hadn't really hit our community yet. We were all just kind of watching and waiting and washing our hands and using a lot of hand sanitizer. And then that evening was when things got real and, um, we got the news about the two-week quarantine, and I think like many of your listeners, whether it was March 13th or a few days before or a few days after that, um, we all had a pretty similar circumstance where our cities went into um, a stay-home order. Our school districts went virtual um, overnight, and um, life as we knew it really kind of came to a screeching halt. Um and so that evening, um, like many of your listeners, I had a moment of panic of, oh my God, what am I going to do with my kids for two weeks where, you know, everything is canceled. Um, we're having to switch to virtual school. All of my work meetings are now going to be over a zoom screen. Um, and so I had a crazy little flicker of an idea to just go onto social media. And I was sort of a light social media user. And I just decided to start a little Facebook group where I could connect with other friends and family around the country who were having a similar circumstance. And so I decided to call it Project Quarantine 2020. And I sent out an invitation that night to a few friends and family around the country. And um, wouldn't this be fun where we can share ideas and share pictures of our kids building, you know, forts out of the couch cushions and all the things. And then the next morning, suddenly there were 60 people that had joined the group and that was super exciting. And then by the end of that weekend, a thousand people had joined the group. And by the following Friday, 10,000 people had joined the group. And so, um, 
suddenly I was an accidental influencer and completely unexpected and, and, um, had to learn very quickly how to moderate a group that has gone viral, um, which clearly, you know, kind of back to the point about isolation and the need for connection, it clearly was meeting a need for all of these people. So, you know, friends that had been invited became friends of friends, became, you know, people I had never heard of all over the world from, from all the continents. And so um, it became a group where ultimately it grew to about 42,000 people all around the world. And we had lots of different resources in the group and ways to kind of help people stay connected through this really scary time we were all going through. Isn't that exciting? I mean, what, who joined it? Were they parents, um, teachers, professionals, or just, you know, it was really all of the above. We had, um, we had a lot of moms, um, as we know, the pandemic, I think, um, more than anything hit women and a lot of women had to leave their jobs. They couldn't maintain the balance of, um, working from home over a screen while also trying to do homeschool for their kids for the first time. So I think, um, statistically, we know that women were highly impacted by the pandemic, especially in that first year. Um, so a lot of women trying to maintain connection and get ideas, you know, how do I keep my kids engaged in online learning? What are some virtual activities we can do dance classes or yoga or, you know, Mo Willems, one of my favorite book authors doing art classes on YouTube. So we shared all sorts of resources. Um, and I think that women and moms in particular found that to be extremely helpful and supportive. We also had grandparents, um, you know, people in the 70 plus um, age demographic who were extremely isolated and cut off. Um, and so social media became a place of connection and community, um, really for all different generations and demographic backgrounds. That's so exciting. And how long did this group really stay active? I would say it was at the height of its activity, probably for the first 18 months. Um, I was holding weekly, uh, Facebook live events where I would host, um, different experts in fields of mental health, fields of medicine, um, epidemiology. We had a couple of teachers come on. We had sleep experts because parents were stressed that their kids weren't sleeping well and therefore parents weren't sleeping well. Um, I had your wonderful son-in-law, Michael, who is a physical therapist. And he talked to us about keeping our bodies healthy while we were um, working from home. Um, So that was super helpful. Um, So that went on for probably four or five months that I held Facebook live events Um, we had lots of files set up with different examples of, um, schedules that we could set up for our kids, ways to set up a learning zone, um, for kids that were learning from home for the first time. So I would say the first 18 months. And then after that, I think the need really trickled down. The the group is still alive and we changed the name after a few months from project quarantine to project village, because that's truly what we had become for one another. I think of a village as a place where we really um, lean in and support each other through struggle and through hard times. And that's really what this space had become um, for, for people that were a part of it. And, um, so the name project village really seemed to, to meet what we had evolved into. And that name really evokes belonging, being part of a village, which, Mm -hmm. um, I think is just beautiful. You know, Lauren, you said that, um, 
social media wasn't really your thing before you started. You had a big learning curve. What did you, you know, looking back, what did you learn as a leader, not only in this group, but just on online space? Yeah, I think something that I think will resonate with a lot of people is just hearing that social media is often a dumpster fire. It's it's a mess of people that are pretty ugly to each other sometimes, um, can be real bullies to each other and say really unkind and, um, you know, comments that lack compassion and empathy. And so first and foremost, and maybe this is, you know, just inherently how I'm wired or maybe because of my social work background, I wanted this to be a space of kindness and support and belonging. Like you said, um, that this could be a place where, you know, all of the activities we posted were free or very low cost. Um, I didn't want, um, there to be, you know, sort of a privilege of the haves and the have nots that we were only, you know, promoting activities that were online activities that cost several hundred dollars. These were free activities, um, that people could access, um, regardless of their, of their means and their background. Um, I learned very quickly that having some pretty firm group rules and boundaries about what was okay and what was not okay was really important. And then also having some co-moderators. I had several friends um, within the first week that saw how quickly the group blew up and said, hey, it looks like you might need an extra set of hands uh, to help out with this, And which was good because I the last thing I wanted was to be glued to my screen all day. My kids needed me. My husband needed me. My dog seemed to be extra needy. Um, so I, I had several friends that offered to be co-moderators and that was extremely helpful so that, you know, if some things blew up, which they, they did, um, and I can give some examples of that, um, we would very quickly say not okay, um, delete comments and sometimes even remove members of the group if they were not abiding by the, the group rules. So what was so great, you created a safe, place to belong. And uh, we're going to take a break right now. But when we come back, we'll discuss how we can help ourselves as well as our kids become good digital citizens, because safety uh, online is, for lots of reasons, is really an important issue. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Discover the power of the seeing brain the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back. We've been talking with Lauren Ross, and she's been sharing about the importance of connection and community for our well-being and mental health. Uh, we were talking about the great Project Village that uh, became viral during the pandemic. And one of the things that I noticed, again, from my visual perspective, we spent way too much time on screens. We all did. It was a blessing and a curse at the same time. Certainly from a visual perspective, we, uh, it was a boomed our business. So many people had visual problems, glare, eye fatigue, double vision tracking problems. So it induced a lot of physical issues. A lot of people had back, neck, thumb issues as well. And then of course, 
it was great to connect <clears throat> through online um, kinds of programs, but it also helped us be isolated. And, and that's the life for many of our, our kids and ourselves now that we think we're quote connected because we have a thousand friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but we need to learn how to be good digital citizens and that's being safe. Uh, there's so much bullying going on. How do we, how do we train our kids and hopefully, you know, the rest of our social media folks, how to be good digital citizens? Yeah, so that that term uh, really resonates with me, and it's something that in our school district we really try to do some intentional teaching with our students. And I think it's especially important for our youth um, who are, you know, between the ages of three and eighteen, because the digital world is really the world they live in now, and uh, we can fight that as much as we want, um, but it and and recognize that it has a good side and a bad side, right? Um, so some of the examples that I was giving before our break were about how toxic our social media spaces can be and often are, but I think also they have such opportunity to be these wonderful spaces of compassion and connection and support for one another. Um, Project Village is just one example of that. Um, I saw so many examples, particularly during the course of the pandemic, where Social media and online space was really a lifeline for people because we were so cut off and everything that we knew to be normal, you know, we we couldn't go to a happy hour with our friends and we couldn't, you know, have a in-person play date with our kids. And so spaces like Discord became a virtual play date for our kids where they could message each other and say, hey, you want to jump onto Roblox together? And they'd have their headphones on and they'd be chatting um, so my kids, you know, I can think of multiple examples where they were staying connected with friends from their summer camp who lived in New York and Texas, and they were more connected than ever because of these online spaces. Um, but with that comes extra responsibility because of potential dangers involved, right? There's, um, possible physical danger. If there are, you know, potential child abusers who are grooming, victims online, you know, that's a horrible worst case scenario. And then the psychological safety pieces such as cyberbullying or um, just what social media can do to the self-esteem of, of a vulnerable young teenager, right? Um, looking at pictures that, um, you know, are fat shaming or body shaming and things like that. So it just really requires a lot of responsible intentionality. And that's so true. That's the good and bad all together, certainly. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing the schools implement on emotional intelligence and um, ways to help kids learn how to deal with these kinds of issues, not only online, but just in real life? What kind of programs are being implemented? You can speak especially in the Cherry Creek schools. Yeah. So in the district that I work in, um, and this is true for many, many districts, um, social emotional learning um, is something that we are continuing to build upon um, year after year. So what that looks like is really a multi-tiered systems approach. So on that tier one level, when we think about all students on a universal level, 
we really try to take a prevention focus where we are intentionally teaching social emotional skills. So in our district, we utilize a curriculum that um, teachers are implementing in the classroom and it varies school to school. Sometimes it might be 15 minutes every day during a classroom meeting in the morning. Sometimes it's a once a week um, lesson, but it just like we teach our kids literacy and we teach our kids um, mathematics and social studies, we really have to be intentional and direct with how we teach social emotional skills. So some of those skills involve, how do I manage hard feelings? We all have emotions. How do I um, name my emotions so I can tame them? Um, How do I develop self-regulation or coping strategies when I'm having big feelings? And then also how do I get along with others? What are my conflict resolution skills? How do I work with a group and how do I work with a partner? Because so much of our school now is not students sitting at a desk and listening to their teacher. It's really project-based learning. It's kids working with partners in small groups to do projects. And if they don't have those skills, which those skills got pretty rusty during the pandemic, right? Right. We have to really be intentional with how we're teaching our kids and building those skills. Well, those skills are certainly not just for kids. Many of us adults could use refresher courses as well. You know, I had the opportunity to visit one of my grandkids in Seattle, who's in second grade, and I saw this social emotional learning in action in the classroom. When I sat in their classroom, there were little posters all over the walls. For example, one poster would say, when you say, Mm -hmm. and then a blank line, I feel blank. And as soon as there's a conflict, that's the kind of conversation the teacher starts having the kids bring up with each other. But I got this wonderful surprise just the other day. My little granddaughter has COVID and she was home uh, from school. And of course, parents are working. And she was, you know, she didn't feel good. Her behavior was kind of off the wall. And it was a tough day. And the next day, my daughter shared a picture that her daughter, so my granddaughter made, and it was the R's of recovery. She wrote all of this out because she had it in her schoolwork. The R's of recovery, number one, recognize. And then she wrote, oops, I made a mistake and I wasn't listening. (laughs) Number two, reconcile. These are the words that are being used in second grade. Uh, Reconcile. I apologize. Sorry, mom. And then repair. What can I do to make it better? Wow. And oh my gosh, it touched my heart. And I thought, this isn't just for school. This is how we as adults should be learning and having our conversations. And so this work is so important. And I know a lot of schools are implementing, but I also know not all schools get have the, the caseload of the uh, professionals to help help their students as well as teachers. So I see your work is so invaluable, um, Lauren, and thank you for all that you and all the other people, not only in our district, but really around the world are doing in mental health. And I want to throw some credit towards teachers as well. We know that teachers have such a heavy lift, even just on the academic side of things. And And oftentimes they have to be the school nurse and help with boo-boos. And um, then they have to be the social worker working with uh, parents and navigating community resources and then wearing the hat of social emotional teacher, right? So I think that's such a big part. 
And I think sometimes that's taken some work to get teachers to buy into it, that when we um, can invest the time with our social emotional learning with our students, we gain back instruction time, right? We've got kids that are better regulated, um, that are ready to learn. And um, many teachers are super on board with that. And it's just, it's, it's a big lift though. Yeah, that is great. I know that you've been greatly shaped by your learning and certification through Brene Brown. You want to spend just a couple minutes um, sharing with our listeners the impact that what Brene has researched and shares, the impact on you uh, personally, as well as your work in the schools. Absolutely. So um, I had the honor, as you said, in the introduction of training with Brene Brown back in 2019, it was only about three months before COVID hit us um, in her Dare to Lead model. And it's a model that really focuses on organizational health and culture. And so my area of expertise really is around um, how does vulnerability and shame show up in um, work settings that are specifically nonprofit and public education sectors. So I've had the, the extreme privilege in my own district and some neighboring districts to do some trainings with teams, um, with new principals and administrators and mental health providers on how shame and vulnerability show up and how we can lead with greater courage and intentionality. And I think, you know, kind of circling back to Project Village, I think that was a huge part that really helped the group be successful was that I wove some of my, my leadership skills into how the group was run, but also taking it a step further, challenging the members of the group to be leaders. So the leader isn't necessarily the person in charge, but really all of us have the capability of influencing the environment around us and the people around us. And so challenging members of the group um, or in my dare to lead work, challenging members of our school communities to show, show up with greater courage and leadership in whatever realm that we are in. And that's amazing. And, I, and I've shared with you before, Lauren, my experience with vulnerability, a word that I can hardly pronounce. <laughs> uh, years ago, when I was in personal development courses, one of my coaches had recommended that I consider taking on vulnerability. And it shocked me because at that time of my life, I thought, oh, well, that's being weak and, you know, passive. And why would I ever take on some something like that? I want to be strong and courageous. I almost dropped out of the course thinking that I'm not going to become weak. And until I realized the power of what vulnerability is and the mm -hmm. courage it takes to speak and be heard, to be seen. Um, and, and really, it's all about courage of being who you are and letting People really know that and not covering up. And so my lesson uh, was a hard one to learn, but now I see that as such an important um, a value and an important skill for all of us to um, take on. And it's great that you're yeah. able to have that certification, bring that right into our district as well. So again, I thank you for that as well. And sometimes I like to rename vulnerability, just messiness uncertainty. And sometimes, you know, we can all relate to that, right? And certainly the pandemic was a time of great uncertainty and messiness, right? Having to pivot every couple of days when one plan, you know, plan A didn't work. So let's go to plan B. Right. Um, and that's, you know, a, a universal human emotion we all experience. Yeah. Thank you. I can relate to that too. Um, so we're close to ending today, Lauren. I want to make sure you gave our listeners uh, 
some resources, uh, where to look to get resources, find out more information about you? Yeah. Um, so I would love, um, you know, if the topic of social media and creating spaces of connection on social media, if that resonates with your listener, um, I think you're going to link my TEDx talk in, in the show notes. Um, right. and that's, you know, I, speaking of vulnerability, you know, really embraced, um, the messiness and the uncertainty and got on stage at a TEDx event and, and shared the story of project village, which was really exciting. Um, I also have a website, project-village.com, and I have all of the um, resources that we shared in the Facebook group over the past few years. Those are all saved um, as a permanent archive on that website. So all of the different um, Facebook live events that we held with different experts and blog articles that I wrote over the past three years. Um, So I hope that that could also be a, a place of resources that folks can take a look at. That's just great. And again, we have links in the show notes to your website, as well as I can attest to the your TEDx talk. I was there live and uh, it was great. So I encourage our awesome listeners. to have you there. Uh, always my pleasure. Thank you. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for your words of inspiration and, and wisdom. It's always a joy to be around you and your family. And thanks. Uh, just my, my heartfelt gratitude to you as a person and to really what you're doing in your work. I thank you so very much. Thank you, Dr. Lynn. Great to be with you. All righty. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.